Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 127. Today, I want to begin with a story and a scripture. First, the scripture. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, the word war there is the word for strategy. It's literally brought right over into our language, strategy. Our strategy is not according to this world, not according to this flesh. We do not do God's work in an earthly, fleshly, terrestrial way. We do it in a heavenly, supernatural, and divine way. And so this is what this verse is saying. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds, fortresses, those things that have made our lives into a prison, casting down arguments, that is, anything that would try to be used as a tool to defy the truth of God, to deceive us, something that would take away from the truth of God and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, if we're going to have true victory in life and we're going to walk in victory and we're going to walk in obedience, there has to be a bringing into captivity the thought life because that is where everything starts is in the mind, in the heart, with the thoughts. He said we would cast down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, it all starts with the thought life. Jesus said, as a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, that is, it begins with the eye gate, it goes through into the mind, into the thought processes, that is the seed of adultery. He said the same thing about murder, that the seed is in the thought life of anger. All of these emotions, all of these thoughts have to be brought under control if we're going to live in victory. And if we do not bring them under control, then they will control us and the enemy will control us. And all of us have seen what that does in our own lives and in the lives of others. When I was pastoring in Southern California, a man started coming to our church and he would come in after the service began and he would leave just before the invitation. And I could see him and notice him because he had a demeanor that spoke of anxiety and of fretfulness. And I would literally, because of where he was seated in the back and because of the way the lights were shining, I could see the perspiration as it would break out upon his head. And so after he had been coming for a while, I began to know of him and know something about him. We spoke several times, and then he made an appointment to come in and talk with me. 
He was very fidgety. He was very afraid. It was obvious he was in bondage of some kind or another. And he began to tell the story of how that he had once lived a wonderful, open, vibrant life. And through a series of areas of disobedience in his life, he came into great bondage and his thought life was captured by the enemy. And he began to think thoughts, shameful thoughts, and those thoughts began to control his mind. Well, as is so many times the conclusion and the horrible result of that kind of thinking is guilt and shame. And pretty soon he began to feel so anxious about life and about his relationship with God and with others that he began to cloister himself in his own room and in his apartment. And before long, he was not venturing out and he developed what is called agoraphobia. Agora is the word for marketplace. And so it was a fear of the marketplace, a fear of getting out into the marketplace and of being around people of any size of number whatsoever. And it was dominating his life to the point where he had lost his job. He had lost relationships. And he came to me and said, can you help me? I've listened to you preach and I've heard you talk about our thought life. Is there anything that I can do? And I took out a post-it pad, much like an MD would take a prescription pad. And I wrote out to him after listening to his story, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. That verse says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's interesting there. The word for fear is not phobos or phobia, as we would call it. That's not the word there. It is the word delos, which is cowardice, timidity, shyness. It's this idea of not being able to deal with people, not being able to speak up, not being able to stand up. It's the concept of just cowering away, and that's exactly what he was experiencing. You see, the Word of God is like a great medicine chest in many ways because it has the answer to every one of life's problems. And sometimes I know because of phobias and fears and things that anxieties that come into our lives, that there are chemical imbalances that develop. And sometimes a person will need medical help. But I can tell you, even if you are free from medical maladies in the sense of all the chemicals are balanced, you still have to work with the mind because your mind will control your brain and your brain will ultimately control your body. It will control the rhythms of life. And so we have to deal with that. And so I knew that he was in bondage because his thought processes were askew. And as the more he talked with me, the more I knew that he was in demonic bondage and that he had been over and over again told the lies of the enemy that had cowered him away into seclusion, into his own room to where he could not even relate to people anymore and could not get out into the marketplace, hold a job, and it was ruining his life. And so I began to ask him, was he willing to be made whole and to be made free? And did he want that more than anything? He said, yes, I do. And I made sure that he had truly asked Jesus to come into his life and save him. He had repented of his sins. He had placed his faith in Jesus and that he did. He assured me that he had done that, that he was trusting Jesus alone to save him. But even children of God can be brought into bondage by our own thought processes. And so this is exactly what had happened. I asked him if he would to 
do this every day. And so I gave him this verse, and I said, I want you to read this verse out loud every day 100 times for 30 days. You see, if you will do something for 21 days, you set up a habit. You can be detoxed in less than a month. Just because the chemical dependence is not there anymore doesn't mean that the mental and emotional and psychological and dependence is not there. And so you have to be freed from that. And so that's exactly what I ask him to do. I ask him to repeat over and over again, a hundred times each day for 30 days, Second Timothy chapter one and verse seven, for him to read that out loud, that God has not given us the spirit that he had, but of love, of true agapao, of agape, of love and of a sound mind, that is a balanced mind, one that is able to make wise decisions, rational decisions, reasonable decisions. And so I said, after a few days, you're going to believe that you're cured, just like if you take antibiotics for a while and you don't take the full dose, you may start getting to feeling better, but you need to do as the doctor says and continue out the dosage because it'll be sure to kill out whatever disease is in your body at that time that's causing your affliction. And And so sure enough, after just about seven days, he called me up and he said, Pastor, I tell you, I am doing so much better. I got outside today for the first time. I'm doing so wonderfully. I said, you cannot stop. You've got to do this for 30 days. Because after 21 days, you have set up for a habit to be formed. If you continue that process for three times 21, in other words, that 21-day process is solidified thrice, three times, or 63 days, and then add three days to that, all of your psychologists and psychiatrists and psychotherapists will tell you that you have formed a habit after 63 to 66 days. It's just fascinating that God works in threes and sevens for completeness, but that he does. And then after 90 days or three months, three months, 90 days, all of your research will tell you that now you have formed a lifestyle. If you do something over and over again for 90 days, it will become a lifestyle. If you do something over and over again for 63 to 66 days, you will solidify a habit. But after just 21 days, you will set up the mechanism for a habitual practice and lifestyle eventually. And so I asked him to do this for 30 days. And so as he did this, God began to set him free. Within 30 days, he was absolutely a new man. He was out talking with people. Just a couple of weeks later, he got a job. And when less than one year, this man was noted in the San Diego paper, that's right, in the San Diego paper in the lifestyle section as the number one employee of a senior adult community that had exclusively to do, his job had exclusively to do with serving seniors, working with them, encouraging them, helping them to realize that God had a purpose for their life and that their lives were valuable and that they could live not only a quantitative life that is longer, but also a qualitative life, one that is whole and meaningful. And all of that happened in less than a year. I saw it with my own eyes and I've seen heroin addicts that have been freed from heroin and cocaine and all of the other drugs. I have seen them over a period of time, even criminals who were called by the court system incorrigible. I have seen them changed by following 
following this method over a period of time, over a year, I have seen them go through a 17-week program that repeated 17 more weeks and then repeated 17 more weeks, and they are absolutely brand new and whole. And I don't know how it happens, but I do know this, that when we bring our thoughts into captivity, into the truth of God and under the truth of God, God sets the mind free. He develops new patterns. I have read over and over again now the research that says that literally the brain is hardwired, uh, brand new, new pathways are created. And I cannot tell you what I have seen God do over the course of the last 25 years since I have used this method to see many, many set free. Now, it's not just any scripture or any truth that you repeat over and over again and uh, get into your mind. You see, your brain has to be washed. You say, well, what you're talking about is brainwashing. Well, sometimes our brains need to be washed. They need to be cleaned because they're dirty, they're filled with lies, and they're filled with bad things. Brainwashing is not bad if it gets the filth out of your mind and puts the good and godly and true words into your heart and mind. I pray that this story has been an encouragement to you. And in our next session, I'm going to talk with you about scriptures where you can begin to learn and start and to repeat. And I'm not talking about memorization. I'm talking about scripture saturation to where it becomes a part of your very being. And without even thinking consciously, it will be in your subconscious and it will warn you when bad thoughts come in and it's like an alarm system. It is absolutely fascinating and I can't wait to share the next few sessions with you. God bless you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.